Hello, uh, and welcome to Vain Shitty. It is... Sometimes I have to read introduced, it's fine. Hello, and welcome to Vain Shitty. Uh, I'm sitting here with my friend Kelly Tatham, and we have just gotten back from Fairy Creek. We'll have a lot to talk about, and I'm excited to uh, keep this discussion open-ended, uh, as we certainly will not run out of material. <laughs> hey, Kelly. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Oh, so yeah, where do we where do we start? <laughs> it's hard to know these days. Yeah, I mean, we've been having uh, kind of an ongoing dialogue slash series of discussions with each other and people for the last four days. So, you know, um, made it a point to just do this as soon as we got back, uh, so that the podcast could serve as a continuation rather than um, like you know, uh, delving back into our memories of it once we've already acclimatized to being back home. Yeah, it's it's alarming how quickly you reacclimatize to living in the Matrix versus yeah. the real world. <laughs> it is, it is. But it was good, though. Yesterday we got to um, spend time with our friends that we did the run and gun with. And, well, luckily, those people are just really lovely and uh, kind, and they, they hug and, and support the way that the people at the camp do, so... We're still we're still in a good headspace, or at least I am. I am too. It was a little rough for me getting home yesterday. I, I tried to take a nap, and uh, there's construction going on outside of my house, and helicopters flying over, which is triggering now. After you know being out at camp and everything's so quiet, and then you hear this rumbling, and it's an RCMP helicopter circling. Yeah. So um, yeah, and then getting home to an empty house and an empty fridge, and and no hugs. Yeah. <laughs> After just having, you know, the most beautiful part about being there is you're living in community and all of your needs are met and um, it's just different here. It's just not the same. Even if you have a community here that loves and supports you, you're not living in that context. And so yeah. I like had my immediate moment of depression and then got to connect with you all again and reminded myself that, you know, I'm stronger than those feelings and I'm going back and I'm constantly making changes and shifts so that I can live in that context as often as possible. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a, it was a really beautiful place. And the goal of this discussion, I hope is to provide as in-depth a picture of it to other people as we can, because there is a lot missing from the narrative. I mean, the biggest thing that's missing is, of course, that mainstream media refuses to report on it as much as it should be. But then beyond that, um, I think even I contribute to it, but it's difficult because you sort of you want to get people's attention. You get people's attention with the most dramatic aspects of the story. That's how you get people to listen. But then once you have their attention, you there are different things that are worth emphasizing. Yeah, it was interesting for me because I went there for the first time about a month ago and I left feeling so full and yeah. enlivened, um, but also needed to share uh, my experience, which was quite intense. And uh, I came back and I started sharing about, you know, hiding from the cops in the woods and the helicopters swirling and the the immensity of that and the fear of that. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't share the same way about the joy that I felt, the community care that I felt. And as the week stretched on, uh, I lost that desire to go back immediately that I had had when I left. And I was reflecting upon why. And I realized it's because the fear is reinforced when yeah. we're back in, in, you know, in the matrix of our current society uh, and the community care isn't reinforced. And so you, 
even the Fairy Creek uh, social media, which they're aware that they're putting forward this specific narrative and they want to expand that as well. But yeah, the, the, we're, we have to report on the news on the news that the, 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 the traditional media isn't reporting on. So we have to talk about the number of arrests of the police violence, of the threats and so on. Um, and you miss out on the community care uh, for, the, for the reason of having to report and also the reason of, you know, you're in that space and you're living in the moment. You're not documenting it. You also want to keep the context of safety and not uh, photograph uh, those moments. And so back in this world, we don't see... Um, we don't see the things that make it so enlivening and enriching to be there. And that's just as important to share as the intensity of it. Yeah, exactly. And um, so I think that's a good place to start because that's where sort of my experience started there, right? Which is you go to this place and it's essentially, you know, it's a camp like, you know, most sort of like it almost strikes you as kind of a bare bones summer camp. You know, there's a kitchen, there's, uh, there's infrastructure, there's tents everywhere, there's like, there's art pieces uh, made by the local community. And then, you know, you know, the energy strikes you almost immediately that there's kind of a calmness and an abiding, like, affection that everybody has towards you. Everybody ex- doesn't know you at all. You don't even use your real name. You use a, a code name. We call it a camp name. But everybody, like, cares genuinely about how you're doing and is is excited that you're there you know and wants you to be okay you know without even knowing you um and there's just uh you know people are always working to make each other's experience there just even at the base camp at the headquarters better you know uh asking each other if they need food water if they need any of the things that make life more comfortable uh having the kinds of discussions we almost never have here uh, at uh, on the mainland, uh, as it were, um, and you know, and when I got there, um, I thought that I was going to be sort of just observing, um, but the beauty of that sort of like small scale anarchist society, uh, it made me like it quickly made me want to contribute in a more meaningful way. Mm. Yeah, I think it was digging the hole the first night, maybe that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we didn't we didn't have tasks assigned to us when we arrived, and uh, we were just kind of settling in. And then you see a need, right? And you go, yeah. "Oh, someone's digging a hole. Hey, do you need a break? Can we take yeah. over?" And then all of a sudden, you're in there and you're doing this this manual labor that maybe in a different context would be like, "Ugh, I have to do this," or you know, like forcing yourself to work out. You're like, "I don't really want to," but you know, you're being useful. Yeah, and it's needed. You you always know that it's needed, and it's needed for a real reason. So, um, yeah, it made me think a lot about like these artificial incentives in like quote unquote civilized society, of like you know, like you never there's in most positions like work style positions, the feeling like the gut feeling of being useful is so uh, elusive, mm. like. It's almost like you have to like trick yourself, you know, like you have to play like I remember I was having these discussions with a former boss of mine and we would be doing this kind of like like uh manifestation or whatever uh you want to call it, like that didn't work of just like telling each other why our jobs were useful but not believing it, you know, like because we had to in order to do them, you know. Yeah, and how many people are are in those jobs? Um either 
jobs that aren't contributing to anything or jobs that are contributing to waste. Yeah, or worse, suffering. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, waste contributes to suffering indirectly, but there are people whose jobs are to, like, make people suffer. Yeah. Like our like our partners up there in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> like our RCMP uh, friends up there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, about um, how much work is unnecessary because of the structure of our economy and yeah. of the work week that was created. And, you know, they had these visions back in the 50s and 60s about what the world would look like with technology, the technology that we live with now and how easy things would be. It was supposed to be a life of leisure by this point. Yeah. And yet we're working more than ever because the economy dictates the exponential growth. And we're kind of a lot of people are trapped in that. And we talk about this, like, how do you divest from it? And so many people are locked in because they don't have the privilege or the resources or the ability to leave. Um, But for those of us who do have those resources to be able to divest from that and to um, stop participating in that system, it's, it's the most liberating thing to do that. And it doesn't mean you're leaving those people behind who don't have the resources. It means you're creating a pathway and, being in that space, you get to begin to brainstorm uh, the ideas on how to bring everybody with you. Yeah, yeah. And there's that's the other thing about the camp as well, is that there's no delineation between work and leisure, like at all, like there's no guilt. So if you're, you know, if you're digging a trench, which like you and I did by choice, and almost everybody just, they, do, they don't do it because they're being pressured in any way. Like we, you could literally show up there, sit down and spend the entire trip in that seat and people would still appreciate you like just for being there so it's like we it was this internal um drive to help and then if you need a break that's that's the most encouraged like everybody there is aware of how scarce the uh our emotional resources are you know and so there's no like break time is it you get an hour break and then it's back into the hole (laughs) it's like no i i'll break as long as i need to and when I feel that I can be properly useful again, I'll be back in the hole. And, you know, I'm going by my own internal sense of what I can offer and how much stamina I have. And, you know, I think we in, you know, in day-to-day life, we we think a lot about physical stamina, but we don't think about emotional stamina. Mm -hmm. And we don't have a lot of like systems that um, like rejuvenate emotional stamina. So you can have somebody who's slept like an entire weekend, but whose emotional stamina has been depleted the entire time. And I'm sure that's a cause of depression, you know, and it's something that we're not like really engaging with. Uh, But in the camp, it's almost like it doesn't exist. Yeah. I can't count how many days I've lost in the city crying and depressed Mm -hmm. and, and not finding the will to be able to work or to do anything really other than sit in my bed and smoke weed. (laughs) And, but out there you, you're working towards this goal and you're so alive and that the depression that for me, at least it haunts me um, in the city is gone. Yeah. You know, it's interesting actually. So this is, we're going to skip around. Eventually we're going to have to kind of tag team each other through the narrative of the trip, but um the first night that I went without sleep by choice um and I was on my way knowing that I wouldn't sleep that night I really had some conflicting feelings um that I was able to sort through thankfully as I was riding up 
and I like told our our mutual friend Zane that I like was feeling um, a hesitancy, and and now I realize it's because, um, I was wondering whether I was going up there out of this like egotistical pride to say that I lost sleep after an incredibly exhausting day because in capitalist society we're so conditioned to like brag about how how much we didn't listen to our own minds and bodies you know um and i'm like am i going up there to be some sort of like fucking egotistical like hero in my own mind so that i can come tell people and i'd be lying if i said there wasn't an aspect of that that i have to do some personal inquiry about but it was more like i am needed and my body can do this and survive and i can do the recuperation when i get home mm-hmm. you know like that was it it was like I know that I can do more good than bad on the on the admittedly empty tank that I'm now running and that I can replenish it later um, and that there will be people to support me when I when that happens. Yeah. And then you find these reserves that you didn't know existed. Yeah. But you can only find them by choice and from a place of, you know, health and the desire for service. Like if, if you're coming from it to prove something or if you're coming from it, you know, to from a place of guilt it's just not thank you (laughs) it's just not um it's it's a very very subtle subtle difference in demeanor and uh motivation that makes all the all the difference Mm. yeah yeah so yeah so there's a lot to unpack (laughs) there's so much there's so much and there's so many threads that lead to everything else yeah 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 what was what was the biggest revelation for you being there going there um i mean you know i mean that's something else that i've thought about too is because like when you have an experience like that um you want to be able to come home and say that you had something like eureka moment or some something about you shifted or your ideology changed or whatever but it basically just reinforced the ideology that i'd been developing over the past few months so i considered the the trip to um fairy creek to be it now like part of a continuum of learning and um of uh you know like another sort of like stepping stone necessary in my like move towards like uh a philosophy of like decentralization and compassion and and direct action when it's needed but also like an acknowledgement that there are, are many ways to fight many ways to um to make change and that they're all equally valid but certainly, like, knowing that whatever functions within the colonial capitalist system, uh, like the electoral system, uh, I just, I can no longer, like, fool myself into thinking that that's useful. Yeah. You know, I mean, because I've had, I've had several conversations with police officers on either side of the line over the course of this trip who are reiterating the things that I used to believe in, you know. Mm-hmm. The idea of, um, like, that you have to go vote for somebody and then they have to carry out your interests. And if you don't agree with them, you have to, like, wait till the next election. Like, it's bullshit, right? Completely. It's like what, I mean, I didn't vote for Horgan this time. Um, I can, I'm happy to say that. However, you know, for the people who did vote for him, he promised explicitly to protect the, uh, the old growth chorus. So... You know, when somebody breaks their promise like that, uh, the only option is civil disobedience. Civil disobedience is democracy mm-hmm. in that case. If, if 
if somebody is elected on false pretenses. So, you know, and the cops, you know, they're reiterating things. There's a video uh, of me talking to one of them, and he's saying all these things in his own words. But, um, you know, the cops are saying things under false pretenses, like, uh, you've got to, you know, you've got to, there's a social contract. And, and it's like, okay, yeah, I agree with you. There is, like, we do have a responsibility to our society. I mean, I, I've never felt that more acutely than I did at the camp. Mm-hmm. My my intrinsic responsibility to these people and to life. But if the other side breaches the contract, then I, uh, you know, I have to do whatever I can with my little life and my little influence to restore the contract. Yeah. Yeah. And also question, like, is this the contract that we want to keep playing out? Is this system yeah. ever going to give us the change that we need? Yeah. It's interesting because, yeah, the RCMP, they'll tell you we're, we're upholding the rule of law. Some yeah. of them even call it the law of the land, which the irony is yeah, astounding. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, you know, you'll be in dialogue with them. And I even had this experience being in court in front of a judge for my criminal charges yeah. for my protest arrest in March. And I asked the judge, I said, you know, what do I do? You're telling me that this is wrong, that what I did sitting down on the Camby Street Bridge and not moving was criminal and wrong and I'm being punished for it. So what do I do? And the first answer is, oh, you know, write your MLA. Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and that's what the RCMP, that's something else they'll tell you on the front lines if you choose to talk to them, which isn't always a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um there's a time and a place, but it's like we can get into later or not. But, you know, they, I just la- I, I don't know what to do but laugh. Yeah. Because I've I've written my MLA. I've called my MLA. So have I, yeah. You know, I've called Horgan. I've called uh, Katrine Conroy, the forest minister. You know, I ran for MLA last year. I've started to, and that's, my time in politics has taught me that it, demanding our power back, asking for our power back from that structure is never going to work. No, it's not. It is a, it's a like engaging with it is already in, uh, just a losing game because by by engaging with it, you're uh, endorsing its legitimacy. Yeah. You know, and it's never been legitimate, not since the beginning. That's the other thing that's important to remember about Fairy Creek, right? Is that we were invited there by Indigenous leadership, um, by Bill Jones there, um, and everything that we do is like. We, you know we're we're asked to check in with would would the indigenous you know hereditary chiefs and the people who are indigenous of that land would they be okay with what we're doing you know because we're we're guests there i mean we've we've been uninvited guests for the majority of our lives and for once in that place we are an invited guest to protect the forest mm. and that's always in the back of our minds and so you know, when the police come in and they say the law of the land, you know, or they say, like, the social contract, you know, the foundation of all of that is, you know, not just, like, the stealing of land, but, like, the destruction of cultures and human bodies. Like, Mm -hmm. it's, 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 the foundation is already on a breach of social contract. Yeah, I, I, it's and so it's like you can't even have a conversation, right? Yeah. You can't have a conversation if you can't agree on the root and the base truth. Yeah. You know, they and so the cognitive dissonance that's required for these officers to do their job is so immense that 
And and I love what you said to the officer on that cliffside. I think it was so powerful. And that context was, was the right place and time to do that. Um, but there are many other times, you know, we're talking to officers is just a waste of our energy. Yeah. Because they're not processing on that level. And they, they're, they've bought into their set of facts. And they're committed to that. And they wear the uniform that represents that. And some of them even wear the thin blue line patches. Yeah. That that state their belief that they're the only separation between chaos and order. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, and it's. Uh, I mean, that's that's so. Talking about the continuum, um, and I'm sure that you've had your own experience with it because, again, you know, like the people that you and I were, you you know, a year ago are so different from the people that we are now in in response to our environment right mm-hmm. like so we both had a uh, a positive or not positive but a some sort of feeling that electoralism could work you know you were part of the system and i identified you know as a democratic socialist and that's all about working within the system to establish like mutual aid and social you know but but using democracy and whatever they're saying is a tool and i mean within a year i've just completely abandoned that you know like i the sort of the identification of like anarchist in my mind is is exactly about the fact that I am I I whatever they mean by the chaos that exists without them is something that I would much prefer to this type of order. Mm. And it's not chaos, it's peace. Yeah, and that's the that's what you is when you remove their uh, assumptions and structures like we do to a certain degree at the camp, it's peaceful. Mm-hmm. It's intuitive. It's like it's feels natural. I mean, you're in, you're in the context of where where human beings actually came from in nature, and you're respectful of that, and you're you're able to hear each other more um, more loudly and more deeply. Yeah, yeah. We're at the place where we have to stop um, uh, giving away our power. Yeah. And you know, I had an ad pop on pop up on Facebook this morning asking, uh, are you going to support Jagmeet Singh in the upcoming federal election? You know, this election that apparently is happening. Yeah, this this kind of a, this hanging uh, election. And I'm like, no, I don't want to support him. He hasn't spoken out about full growth or TMX or Site C. And yeah. uh, I don't want to support the Green Party either at this point. The internal politics there are a whole mess. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I love Sonia and the, the 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 way that she uses her platform, but there's so much of a mess. Oh, you, well, yeah, the BC Greens being separate from the federal Greens. The, yeah, yeah. Right. And also the BC NDP not being as separate as I would like from the federal NDP. Well, yeah, because it's like they are separate entities until Jagmeet Singh comes out and campaigns in Sonia's riders, um, riders, writing. writing thing. Yeah, right, yeah, her cou- couch, which is where we were, right? Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, okay, you can say that they're separate, but he's going out there and he's lifting up John Horgan and not saying anything about X, Y, and Z issues in our so-called province. And, and yet he wants all of these progressive environmentalists to support him and we want to we want someone we need a leader desperately and yet how can you be trusted and then but that's just the whole system right partisan Mm -hmm. politics is killing us 
by creating these boundaries yeah. and saying, okay, our set of um, policies are better than theirs. And he, we're going to, we're going to show you why. And we're going to spend the whole campaign trail poking holes instead of working together. Yeah. It's, and, and so I'm thinking about this upcoming election. I'm like, I don't want to vote for anyone. No, me neither. Or if I do vote for somebody, I want it to be like a, like an, like an independent from like a philosophy that I agree with as a form of protest vote, you know? But even then it's like, why participate in the system? Right. Yeah. And and I don't say that lightly. Neither do I. No. And I've voted in every election my whole life. Um, from the first time I voted when I was 18 for a liberal because my family was a family of liberals and the fellow crossed the floor and became a conservative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I should have known <laughs> right there right. that the system couldn't be trusted. But you know, and, and I wanted to, I even thought about putting my name forward for Vancouver East for, for the federal Green Party. Um, but everything that's been going on with Annemi Paul and the internal politics there and just like looking at the policies and recognizing that they're so far from enough. Even the BC Greens policies, like I love Sonia and Adam, they're incredible and I will yeah. support them and will very likely continue to participate uplifting them. However, their policies still aren't radical enough, you know, no, and there's not. a lot of good people doing a lot of good work. But even even just occurred to me today, like the name BC Greens, like we got to get rid of BC. It's not British Columbia. That's an, you know, that's a colonial name. Yeah, that's a colonial occupied, name. Like, so there's so much to transcend. And, mm. the, the you know, both Sonia and Adam are aware that systemic, radical systemic change is needed, which is why I believe in them. But to be putting our energy into that system when we could be putting our energy into building something different and better because at one point or another, the old system is going to crumble. Are we going to be ready and prepared to lead and to caretake when that happens? Yeah, exactly. I I don't know what I'm going to do in terms of local electoralism, like localism. Well, at every level, um, but I don't know what I'm going to do in the next BC election, whenever that comes. And I certainly don't know what I'm going to do in the next federal election. I think, I think I'll probably vote, but it'll be for a third party. But like, what I do know is that like, so I have friends, I have like very close friends that I really care about in the United States, for instance. And I know for sure that the next time they have an election, I'm going to be encouraging them not to vote or to vote for a third party, like their dream party. Um, I know that I know that. I would be ashamed to have friends who participate in the next U.S. election, point blank. Mm. I would be ashamed if a friend of mine voted for the Democratic Party. Yeah, I mean, because we both know what happened in the last election with everyone just desperately wanting Trump out, that they were uplifting this very... I don't even know what to call it. Well, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like Trump represents this explosive, stupid, horrible chaos that uh at least the media kind of has some sort of impetus to call out because they don't want him to be revealing like secrets or whatever right um so it's this kind of unstable uh tyranny this unstable like fascism but what people don't seem to realize is that the other side represents stable polite fascism the Mm -hmm. kind of fascism that can survive for tens of years you know unchecked and has and I, I do fundamentally see that as kind of more dangerous because, you know, I, I never would have learned about the kids in cages, cages that were built during Obama's administration. And, and the way that it relates here and around the world, actually, is that 
we all kind of take uh, like we, meaning our quote unquote elected government, we take our cues from them and whatever they do, if we do something that's even a degree less extreme, you know, we, we like have carte blanche to do whatever we want as long as we're quote unquote better than the states and Trudeau and Horgan have been running wild with that. Yes. You know, and, and, and so have just like leaders across the quote-unquote civilized world and so i just get like i can't i cannot condone um that that system anymore um because like because i live in the world and my eyes and my ears are open mm. you know uh, a, a small town burned down here because of the highest temperatures recorded ever in in this region just two weeks ago and we're still talking about the legitimacy of the system <laughs> Right. And like I went into a store right after Lytton burned and there was uh, they were asking for for donations. And OK, so, yes, we're all about mutual aid. And yes, we want to support each other. But where the where is the government? Why are we asking regular people yeah. for support? Where you know what is going on here? And we see that, you know, across um what happened in California with the fires yeah. in 2018, 2019, climate yeah. refugees, like they're not getting the support and nobody talks about it. Right. And that's all across the planet. People are being displaced um, by, by the climate and ecological crisis. And it's just happening slowly and outside of our eyesight. And we're all so busy and so overwhelmed that, and, and so many of us struggling and suffering within the system that, we can't see what's happening until one day it'll click and it'll be us or it'll be our family yeah. uh, or it'll be knocking at our door. And the, the, the we have the resources. We have the resources to take care of all of these things. We have the intelligence and we have the ability to innovate and uh, mitigate these problems, eventually halt and reverse yeah. them. But none of that work is being done. All of the, the government continues to fund and fuel our destruction. A hundred percent. And like, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to be blase about these things. I am so grateful that imperfect, but good hearted and genuine people like Sonia, uh, like Bernie, like all of these people that they exist within the system, but the system has just proven to us time and time again, that their, their humanity will never win against the machine. Yeah. It just won't. And the, you know, they will leave and be replaced by people that are not like them. They represent an anomaly. And we need them there. And, we you need know, them. We th do need them. This conversation of recognizing that the, 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 that system needs to go, we need to build a different system, isn't to say that if someone is called to participate in that system, that they shouldn't. You know, as I was participating in that system, it felt terrible. It felt awful and terrible. And mm. I was doing it because I needed to know. I needed to have that firsthand experience so I could say with accuracy, it doesn't work. But those people who are working there, it's necessary, right? There's no absolutes. Nothing is black and white. Nothing no. we say about anything no. um, is is absolute. And so, and that's the type of thinking that, that needs to be let go of, especially yeah. in this meme culture where we're, sh we're sharing these ideas. And instead of expanding upon the ideas and and growing from them people are still picking them apart and going what yeah. about this what about that 
no, the system needs to go, but people continue need to continue to work in that system, dismantling it, provoking it, shifting it as we're building the new system. Yeah, and and um, the the indigenous um, hereditary chief who invited us to um, to, to the Pachidat land there where we were staging our stand, he said very eloquently that he sees the global shift to the right that has occurred over, again, even that spectrum is colonially constructed. Mm -hmm. But he's, I think he's spoken to enough people from our fake culture to be able to speak in its terms, which is useful. And, you know, he said the shift to the right for him is very apparent and that he wants, like, you know, he sees his role as being able to empower the rebellion mm-hmm. and the rebellion or the revolution. It just doesn't, um, it doesn't exist within that paradigm. Yeah, because the, the system controls your behavior. Like we're overwhelmingly controlled by our environment. And so anyone who's going into that system becomes shaped by it. Um, and so, yeah, Bill Jones saying that who's uh, an elder, not the hereditary chief. One of the no. hereditary chiefs, uh, Victor Peter or Peters, um, has is supportive of people being there. But Bill Jones is an elder. And right. And just to sidebar for folks who are still learning this, the there is the hereditary chief system and there are you know elders in in and around who support them. Uh, and then there's the colonially elected chief and council. And this has been the misdirect um, that the colonial chief and council has said that they don't want the land defenders there, that they are choosing what to do with their resources. Um, and that's what the NDP used to distract people from this. And they and that's right. why a lot of people thought that this was over, because they announced that it was deferred and they did it um, in partnership with the colonial elected chief and council. Um and one of the police officers that I was in the standoff on the side of the cliff with, and this was, again, this was pretty scary had I not known that I was there for the right reasons um, and kind of had the courage of the convictions of my friends who were braver than I there. But it was three on three, essentially on the side of a cliff with no ed- exit strategy. One RCMP officer, regular, two special ops versus three uh, unarmed young men. Uh, and no exit strategy, but one, one of them, one of the special operatives said to me that we are the colonizers because because we are behaving um, in defiance of, of the indigenous leadership, right? right? And that's within the context that Kelly was just talking about, the colonial context. Yeah, and this is really hard for people to understand because most of us are rife with shame and guilt of being here as we're learning um, and unlearning, you know, as these, as it's being revealed to those who didn't know the devastation of residential schools, um, the ongoing um, oppression of indigenous peoples. And I think it's important to note that residential schools may have ended, but the child welfare system carries on. There are more children today uh, in government custody than there ever were during residential schools. And so this is present. This is not, this is not part of our history. This is ongoing. And so I think so many of us, and you know, this is something I learned firsthand um, while trying to deal with clean water uh, out on Stalo territory was that the elected chief and council don't always have the best interest of their people in mind because it is an colonial imposed system. 
And with the generational trauma and the withholding of resources, it creates a perfect storm. And I mean, first of all, does your government represent you regardless? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Even it's that's the thing is it doesn't even it doesn't even follow the the rules that it's telling us that we should obey, right? It's not even consistent in its limited scope. Yeah. You know, so it is constantly breaking its fundamental promises. You know, and, and with uh with an attitude of like that's just what governments do. It's okay, cool. Well, if that's just what governments do, then this is what I do. Right? Like that what do you, there's no just in the conversation. Yeah, and we need to uh have to be able to transcend all of that and and look at uh reality that the the reality that these ancient beings these ancient trees yeah are being desecrated and that transcends any structural system it has to yeah and you have to understand these i mean it's scope wise these some of these trees are older than the entire history that we're accustomed to discussing right like mostly we talk about a history that stops you know just over 2000 years ago you know like in in day-to-day conversation which is a sliver of, of the history of homo sapiens and insignificant in the history of the world but these trees like have been around for all of that and we just we have the arrogance to think that it's time to just go in and cut them down for the sake of our fleeting system. The 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 notion that anyone could own them. Yeah. And you know what? Forestry is reality. Um, wood is needed. Uh, no. I don't think it's needed. In, I know it's not needed in the context of currently just shipping shingles around the world. Um, but there there are sustainable practices yeah. um, that that can be led, should be led by indigenous people, by First Nations, um, who aren't part of the colonial system, who hand, whose hands aren't being forced, whose dependency on resources um, isn't part of the equation. And, you know, this, this, this is all possible to be done and these jobs that are being lost right now. Because something that we all need to understand is like Teal Jones, who is the the people who are profiting or would be profiting off of the Fairy Creek resources, um, they're sitting in their offices right now, you know, not losing anything. It's the subcontractors on the island, these small businesses who are losing money um, and the government's not supporting them. We have the resources yeah. to, they, they could be taken care of and these loggers are showing up on the front lines. And now uh, there was an interaction uh, I think last week where a logger showed up on the front lines and beat up uh, one of the land defenders. They were locked in and they yeah. got brutalized. And uh, it's understandable because this person can't feed their family anymore. Yeah. And this doesn't fall on the, the defenders, the people who are in the forest protecting. This falls on the government for not taking care of people, for not um, implementing sustainable forestry practices, uh, for not innovating clean, green jobs. All of these things are possible. And every minute that they're they're paying the RCMP to try and extract people to cut down these trees is a minute that they're not creating new jobs and different jobs that are going to carry us forward. You know, it's only a matter of time. If they keep going, the old growth will be gone. What's their plan then? 
you know, where is the pathway forward? And the NDP has done absolutely nothing to create clean jobs. They're not looking at it at all. They're not innovating at all. There are paltry funds that you can access. But, you know, we need green banks. We need clean technology innovation. And we need to be empowering everyone to be engaged and involved in that before freaking society collapses. Absolutely. So, okay, so because we are in sort of in dialogue with the audience that's listening here, I thought we could take a minute after the really important discussion of what's at stake in the macro level to talk about making this political, all of this sort of chaos, these chaotic ideas that we've been discussing personal, Hmm. you know, because that's that's so important because at the end of the day, we do need to um, kind of motivate people to join us there. Um, from a from an intrinsic place rather than just from a place of like uh, duty. Mm-hmm. Both are important, but I think we neglect the second one a lot, and I think that's a lot of the discussion we were talking about. And I was thinking while you were talking and, and while we both were talking about like the research that we've done and these things that we've seen and our forays into electoralism, that a lot of like the culture that we live in is characterized by searching this endless search for what our purpose is or like how we can be useful when when you arrive at that camp it's maybe not on the first day but very quickly you find out what kind of person you are in ways that you might not have even known prior to being there you know um and you you realize things that should have like hit you on the head earlier on you know like it's just being in community and being in society in a, in a in a truly functioning society like that one that's built around compassion and love rather than competition you you find out even before you have time to ask yourself like what you can offer mm-hmm. because everything that anybody can offer is accepted there and i think that's important because a lot of people think probably i'm not the kind of person who can get chained into a barricade you know i'm not the kind of person who can face off the police i'm not this that therefore i don't belong there mm-hmm. but that's that's so not true mm-hmm. every kind of human being is valued and needed and you know also there are so many ways that society rejects our for like our truth in this place that are accepted there that that is a place where you can truly be who you are in the fullness of what that is mm. and I, I think that um i think that like anybody listening here deserves the opportunity to experience that to experience that your uniqueness being valued you know yeah. and and that's part of it too because it's not just it is like the front line of the climate uh crisis here in north america i do believe right now what's going on there you know or at least one of the many front lines. That, but it is also a place to see what a better future looks like. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been thinking about this a lot, like, because it makes no sense what's happening. Yeah. Um, you know, our government has claimed to understand that we're in a climate emergency, and the science is so clear. And, you know, it breaks my heart to have to bring it back to science because, not at all, yeah. you know, you look at those trees and you're like, how do you just not understand on like a, a life-based level that they're mm-hmm. vital? But the science is abundantly clear and the government has stated that themselves. So it literally, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. And, and then 
when I'm there, I, I realize I'm like, well, we wouldn't all be here coming together, building relationship, learning how to live in community, learning how to rely on one another and learning how to flourish in our gifts if they weren't doing this. Yeah. And so the alternative being the government, um, you know, takes appropriate action and then we all keep going on participating in our day to day lives. But we recognize that what's coming and what we're going through is a complete transformational shift yeah. where yeah. everything is changing or at least 90 percent, you know, is changing. And so that requires us freeing ourselves and, yeah. and being completely who we are because capitalism thrives on us suppressing ourselves on being, believing that we're not worthy, um, suppressing your creativity because right. all humans are creative. It is exactly. to be alive is an expression of creativity. Uh, and that's how we set ourselves free. Mm -hmm. And so to, to be there and to recognize that you have a gift, that it is needed, that all of you is needed, every part of you is needed and accepted yeah. is, is, is the magic of that. Right. In the context, in the polarity, the dichotomy of, of this needless, senseless destruction, only through that is these these expressions of joy and true humanity yeah. amplified mm -hmm. absolutely it's amazing it is uh it's a it's uh i can't imagine what it's like to be there like long term like there's some of the people that you know you never know how long somebody has been there because they because everybody's gifts are accepted immediately and so there's people who seem like they've been leaders there for the entire time, like for 11 months, that's how long the camp has been there, who will tell you, oh, no, I've been here for four days. And I just, you know, in my life, I've kind of like, I've no, I learned how to do this, and I can offer this. And so like, they just let me lead here, you know? Yeah, and that's encouraged. And you know, do you, yeah. do you see a need to fill it, like take yeah. action? And we're, there isn't even that much preamble of the context, everyone just shows up and you understand by the nature of that environment, that container, um, to behave a certain way. And it's not about asking for permission or asking for direction, although those things are available. But it's really about taking initiative, trusting yourself, your intuition, being in the flow, like tapping into all of those yeah. uh, tools that we have in ourselves that aren't reinforced or often even taught in the the matrix society of 3d white supremacy yeah um and like zane you know he talked about uh, our friend who came up with us how you know he connects more immediately to the notion of like uh opposing the state than he did to the forest itself that he didn't intuitively feel that um which is fine you know because like we all have a different experience of it and we all have a different reason to be there and they're all valid but what i found actually was that being in the forest and being in the forest with the protect the mission of protecting it was very natural to me, mm -hmm. you know, and it's something I just wouldn't have known. And then that's why I probably was able to do everything I did was because it felt like, um, it, it felt like it was where I was supposed to be. I mean, it always feels like it's where I'm supposed to be. It's, I moved to another city expecting to find what I was looking for only to realize that I needed to be here. And, my family's, you know, like they're my 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 entire family history on the side that I'm most connected to. It, you know, it, they're really it's related to forest stewardship. My grandmother is has been taking care of the forests in her region of Romania her entire life, and so there's just these things, these archetypes, these aspects of ourselves that we 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 are disconnected to that we can reconnect to in, in a place like that. Mm. 
Was there a moment when you knew you were going to get arrested? Because going in, yeah. you, you know, we were talking and you, you were asking me, like, what's the likelihood? You were pretty yeah. nervous about it. You you didn't go in with the intention to get arrested. Uh, no, I didn't. Um, I, I, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I was anxious about it all, of course, because it's, it was a new experience. Um, what, there was, was there a moment? It was pretty early. I mean, uh, it was when I just, like, it, it, it's when I realized how quickly I was more comfortable there than I was at home. And then I was like, okay, well, if that's true, then I have to fight for this place with, with whatever I can offer, period. You know, and then so I went to the front lines as soon as I had that realization with you. Um, and we both offered what we could. You were you were there to document it, which is so incredibly important. And you were there every step of the way. And then when I got there, I was like, okay, I can be here tonight. I'm here for a short time. I'm, I want to make the biggest impact I can. Take me to the front lines and lock me in. You know, and that was it. There was no hesitation. There was no whatever. I knew they weren't going to hurt me. So it was, or if they were, then, you know. You know what's a broken arm? Yeah, that it would empower you further. That it, yeah, that it would empower me and 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 the people I know and the lessons that I can. You know, I mean, I knew I would survive. Um, and who knows if I thought I wouldn't, but I knew I would. That's another thing that we've discussed. <laughs> but uh, is that ultimately, I there is a balance because you can't be reckless with your own life and with your own health because everything you have to offer ends. You know, in the context of this fight, at least in this life, it ends with your death, you know, within the structure of being who you are. And so it's kind of a betrayal of your potential to recklessly throw away your life on the front lines if you can offer more. But I knew that that wasn't the case. And so I was like, all right, let's go. Mm. Period. If I can stop these guys for maybe an hour, I want to do it. It wasn't hard. You know, and, and it wasn't hard to get arrested, get processed by them, have them, you know, sort of pressure me into not coming back. And then as soon as they release me, going right back, going right back to the front lines, not to get arrested again, but to help build structures. And the, just, it's so beautiful there because like things like the architectural ingenuity of people, like the, the you know, it, it's barricades like in like in any sort of like French revolutionary whatever, where they're trying to slow down the government to getting to your camp, it's the same sort of thing. And so the people are finding new ways all the time to build structures that will slow down their co the cops and their industry so much. And, you know, they have unlimited funding and all this equipment and all of this safety and numbers. And all we have is each other and whatever is in the forest and whatever we can carry up a narrow mountain path with ropes and whatever. And, and we have been stopping them for 11 months using just these like guerrilla tactics is incredible, you know, and it is, it's humbling. And it's like, we, it is the, it is the knife's edge of human ingenuity. Honestly, like I have photos that I can show you of the structures that are created in amounts of time that capitalist motivated systems, like with the same tools, they take days to do what we're able to do in hours just because of the motivation that we have to to save something that's lar larger than ourselves mm. you know and that's incredible mm -hmm. you know and, and and nothing is frivolous there you know words are not frivolous their music is not frivolous there um the the acknowledgement of like sexual and gender fluidity is not shrugged off there it's it's honored 
the the amorphous changing nature of humanity is understood yeah. you know so it's a lot <laughs> and it feels like home it feels like home yeah yeah i mean how do you how do you feel what, what, what was awakened for you oh my goodness um I'll speak to this time because last time now feels like a distant memory. Right. It is a definitely a different dimension. Yeah. This time for me, um, I had the opportunity to share a piece of my writing the last day. Yes. And that was, you know, because I, I go up there with my camera and um, I went up there with the intention to document this time. And, you know, I bought a telephoto lens because I knew that they'd set those long, far exclusion lines out. And, um I enjoy being on the front lines taking pictures, enjoy being a weird word. I don't know if that's the right word, but uh, it feels meaningful. I know it's meaningful. I know that um, documentation is needed. There's other media there, but it's sparse. And um, it's so important because it's even less about documenting to show the world, even though that's important. It's more about being there as a safety because if if people aren't there filming, Mm -hmm. we don't know we don't know what the state enforcement is going to do. Yeah. And that it gets really scary and dangerous in, in those, in that way. So, but I, but I know the photography and documenting like, isn't my fullest calling that it's something that I can offer mm-hmm. and that I will continue to offer as needed, but being able to speak in front of people and share, share my words and my ideas like that, I know is what I'm here to do. And that ignited something in me sharing it. Um, Mm -hmm. and then the response, uh, that, that came to me afterwards. And, um, now knowing about these other blockades, um, popping up, uh, blocking other old growth logging and, and, and seeing the way that people live there, experiencing the way I live there, I'm ready now to, you know, go off the grid <laughs> yeah. to, to, to live, um, nomadically for a time at least and, and visit these places and share words and share stories mm-hmm. and, and offer what I can. But it really clicked in for me that this kind of traveling bard, <laughs> um, and not just sharing my own work, but, um, memorizing other people's stories and, right. and messages. So, so I can go and share them because, and I felt this when you were sharing as well, that it's the words are so powerful, but it's also the embodiment of them. The embodiment is so important. Yeah. The delivery that that deliver, I believe I've heard excerpts of that piece before, but the, 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 the confluence of like the context and your delivery and the, it was just so like, it was a singular moment in time, mm-hmm. you know, like it was, it was like that piece and found its place and it all clicked in you know and we all felt it it was really beautiful thank you yeah it it was meaningful me for me in so many ways because selfishly that piece is a year i wrote it a year and a half ago or i pieced it together a year and a half ago yeah. and again it doesn't belong to me i i have the privilege of channeling it yeah um but you know it, it didn't land until I shared it there. You know, it didn't make sense. I would send this piece to people and just no one would ever write back. <laughs> I'd be like, this is the most, one of the most important things I've, you know, ever done. And I feel that about other pieces too, where I'm like, this is one of the most important things I've ever put out into the world and literally no one's paid attention. Um, I feel that way about my entire creative career. <laughs> so, yeah. 
I understand that. You, you know, but again, it's like it's 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 a, it's about transcending the ego and, and allowing the, the the work that's necessary to come through, or not transcending the ego. I think that's I'm still figuring out how to communicate about the ego because the ego is necessary and yeah. also so problematic, and it's a fine line to parse. Um, it's yeah, I mean, you know, it's feeling guilt about our like like the ego is something that for whatever reason is part of what what it is to be alive and i don't think we attack it with guilt in any meaningful way yeah like the guilt of having an ego is an expression of ego so it's <laughs> it's this weird snake eating its own tail situation like it's like impossible to get around yeah yeah completely um and to bring, to, to bring it back so the piece that i shared the the, the message is essentially like the way we approach the crisis is part of the crisis. Yeah. And those words aren't mine. Those belong to bio Akamalafe. And it's about uh, dual thinking, binary thinking, um, and the ways we accidentally reinforce um, that which right. we seek to transcend. And uh, the, the message, you know, through my vessel of uh, being a female embodiment uh, and deeply understanding the metaphors between oppression of women and oppression of the earth, uh, desecration of the earth, um, is is bringing up these new ways of thinking, this intuitive, circular, multidimensional, right. transcending language. You know, language is separatist, it's dual, it's colonialist, especially the English yeah. language. English language is subject, noun-oriented, and so whenever you say, like, I am this, you become it, rather than it being an expression of an ever-changing pattern. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and so, and so for me... To be on the front lines, to be participating in direct action, when I first started, when I recognized that direct action was necessary, um, I started learning about, you know, the, the, these theories of change and that specific worldview of um, needing to get arrested and, and putting your body on the line and through the system. I was resistant to it. I thought, this, this seems like a trap, like a trick of thinking. And I continue to put myself in those direct action spaces while having these thoughts and just like trying to figure out for myself something intuitively feels wrong and yet I recognize I see that there's no other pathway or there doesn't seem to be another pathway and now I've arrived at this place where I recognize that the pathway that we're on is necessary the work that we're doing is necessary and also now there's a tipping point and a turning point we're incorporating these new ways of thinking these new ways of being and it's not about anything one thing being wrong and the other thing being right it's about marrying the two and expanding and 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 doing the direct action using these tools that we have this rationality the science-based thinking and this confrontive and then bringing in these feminine aspects um or, you know, these polarities, right? Because we can talk about feminine and masculine and patriarchy and matriarchy, but it's just one side and the other. It's polarities. Yeah. And, and it's about finding, maybe it's not about finding balance, but it's about uh, tapping into all angles, all sides, all aspects, and allowing that to be our, to be our push and our movement forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, right? Because in the context of the the kind of the indoctrinated language that we've been um, conditioned into absorbing, everything that we're saying here seems very like complex and counterintuitive. 
but when you settle into a place where like the uh the, those structures don't apply it becomes very easy to understand everything we're saying you know that's why like i you know i hope this conversation like ignites something in you and makes you want to go but most of the things we're saying are really only going to click in once you go there or somewhere like that there are other like encampments popping up all over bc which is very heartening but they are very needed there mm-hmm. but um yeah it's like we need to simplify things so that we can reconnect to those fundamental truths that you you were just discussing yeah we we don't need to complicate them more or you know it's counterintuitive but in order to like get where we need to be we actually need to like slow down not speed up yeah 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 and there's there's no bypassing no there's no bypassing and some people have successfully bypassed and um this is something i grapple with and maybe i'm wrong i don't i don't i think it'll catch up with them yeah um i think that reality whatever that means um the environment it's it's gonna it's gonna catch up with the people who have bypassed and who are living um without caring for um those around them who don't have the privilege to bypass right and so and and uh, to your point it's yeah the some of the things we're talking about may not be understood until you've had those embodied experiences and so much of what I have previously wanted to, to share and preach uh, and that I do now incorporate through the embodied understanding of what direct action, direct action looks like, you know, it's like a lot of love and light stuff. Yeah. But to get to the love and light, you have to do the work and like you can incorporate that all along the way. Right. But there's no just jumping to love and light. We are all one. We're not separate from the no. earth. We're, you know, fractals of God. <laughs> <laughs> we have the power. Um, you can't just you can't just do that no. um, without without being on the ground, doing the work um, and being one of a community. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, uh, and maybe this is a good place to talk about the concept of nonviolence, hmm. right? Because that, uh, I know that your piece was motivated by your experience with an organization that you found, like, was too focused on, uh, or at least this is what you said then, like, too focused on certain forms of, uh, like, interaction. Yeah, and so so I worked with, I've worked with Extinction Rebellion for almost two years now and the whole time it's been kind of off and on stepping in stepping back questioning their worldview and um questioning the concept of nonviolence, right because it's there's it's you can show up and not be violent in a space you can show up and not but but what is nonviolence, right yeah something that that pinged for me at the beginning was that the even the the wording of it nonviolence right that's in it's in the context of violence yeah it's not we're not saying like we're peaceful we're saying we're nonviolent mm-hmm. so we're not doing the thing that you know so it's if you look at the wording of that it's in that context and i always wondered like what does that mean to me it seems meaningless in a sense um but but more more than that it's reactive and the the organization Extinction Rebellion, it's reactive. Extinction Rebellion, we're rebelling against extinction. We're reacting to a potential future, and we're we're rebelling against that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like the antithesis of that might be evolution revolution, 
we're recognizing that we're evolving into something else and right. we're we're having a revolution towards that. And so the language gives so many clues to the way that we're we're acting and I I think there's a place for extinction rebellion. I think that it's an at least every time I talk, I, I get so swayed. Yeah. Whenever I'm in conversation with someone I'm, and they share their worldview, I could just be like, yeah, I see that. Sure. And that's the multiverse, right? It's just like everybody has their different perspective. Um, but to recognize, again, as we we're speaking about, like, there's only so much time. And right now we're doing dismantling and we're rebelling or right. we're not doing anything. But well, yeah, we need to be rebuilding just as much. We need to... I, I believe we need to transition from a rebellion to a revolution, which I think Fairy Creek is the revolution, yeah. but it is through partially through the worldview of the extinction rebellion of putting your body on the line and getting arrested. And did that answer your question? Yes. I, no, it did. No, it did completely. Uh, or at least it provided kind of the stage for this next bit of like talking about ideologies in general. Right. And I think that too many people, check their behavior by their ideology when you or they check their context or what they're doing and they're like does this align with my ideology and then they pivot based on the ideology but ideology is dead right like whatever is written in terms of ideology is an expression of like a certain context so what we really should be doing is we should be checking in our ideology with ourselves and with our context you know, so right now, my, you know, like my ideology is anarchistic, but it's only because I, um, I see myself needing to deconstruct certain systems in order to move towards revolution. But as soon as that deconstruction is complete, if it even is in my lifetime, then certainly I'll no longer be an anarchist, mm. you know, and that's fine. I'll be something else. I've been other things. It's delusional to believe that the ideology that I currently hold will be the one that I hold the rest of my life yeah and it's delusional to like to cling to anything like that change is the only constant yeah and as things continue to change faster and faster we have to embrace change as stability yeah and we have to be constantly questioning ourselves right and constantly opening ourselves up to to new opportunities because not not one of us understands how socialized we've been i mean maybe i shouldn't say not one of us i certainly it's been a a, a continual process of unraveling and if we're not constantly analyzing ourselves and not to the point of anxiety um but if we're not constantly questioning and 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 asking why we're doing the things we're doing and why we believe what we believe and looking for deeper layers then we're missing out mm-hmm. and remaining open is, is imperative. Um, a big slogan of extinction rebellion is no more business as usual. And yet extinction rebellion has not changed its messaging or its branding or its tactics since its inception. Right. And, you know, there are discussions that go on within there, but they're very committed to the data that they have of this theory of change that, you know, 3.5% of people in the streets with 50% of support in society will allow for uh, systemic change, but they're demanding change from the government. Right. That's their whole MO. And, and there are people in there working on, um, you know, right now at uh, XR Vancouver, they're working on a climate emergency bill. 
and they're going to take it to Sonia, you know? And so like, that's great. That's the work that needs to be done because when we're asking the government to change, we're not realizing that the government, first of all, is a system of incremental change that it can't change radically. That's not how it's designed. Um, And second of all, that like, do we want these people leading us? No, I I certainly don't. I don't. They, They don't have the answers. They don't have the capacity like, and we need to be doing it ourselves. We need to be building everything ourselves mm-hmm. and no more asking these power structures to change. We recognize our own power and we build the pathways forward. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's really the only thing we can do is there's this big thing, you know, on the personal level, like in day-to-day life that I notice, which is that people are constantly interacting with their own hypotheticals on both sides in 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 the most sort of like delusional business as usual incrementalist way but also in the most extremist way that we are we're constantly interacting with these abstractions right like ooh i don't want to be on the front lines because of xyz or i don't want to ruin this or that construction you know or and i think it's going to happen so i'm not going to try or i'm not even going near it so there's that aspect of it then on the other side there's the aspect of the only solution is violence I want to be in the trenches. I want a blank check to kill people because that's the only way change happens. And then like both, both of them are like, I don't know whether they're wrong or not is kind of irrelevant, but neither of these people type like archetypes are people that I see on the front lines. Mm-hmm. You know, if you really think violence is the only option, you know, I challenge you to go to Fairy Creek and put your hand in one of those things and see how difficult it is to be non-reactive in the face of, state pressure yeah it's a completely different thing i mean it is a miracle that for 11 months this movement has been nonviolent. yeah you know and that is that is a nature like that is an expression of the strength of the community that when people arrive there even if they arrive with the intention to punch a cop or whatever that is quickly taken out of them by the nurturing environment Nonviolence is radical passive peacefulness and love they're they are radical philosophies yeah and real nonviolence. i think to circle back what you were asking before was you know what does it mean and how is it and how is it executed and i think too often it it is just assumed to be like oh well we're not physically violent when real nonviolence is using the right pronouns you know it's yeah. not gendering people um by assumption it's it's caretaking for others it's it's this whole expansive way of living and being and it's not just about not being physically violent because there may be a point no i don't want to go down that path but yeah it's 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 a it's it's a different way of living and being and interacting and i personally wish we had different words for it and i think we need to be um constantly innovating and and shifting the language because language keeps us stuck we don't you know people being stuck in their ideologies yeah might not even recognize it because they're not questioning like the words that they've identified themselves and where they came from and what they could mean if they were to break those apart. Well, the other word for it, right, that I think is like an evolutionary like regression, like something that was used prior is pacifism. And that's completely wrong Hmm. for what it is because it it implies um, like non-engagement or whatever, like some sort of it literally passivity mm-hmm. is what it implies so mm-hmm. i do think that nonviolence is better than pacifism but it, there certainly needs to be something that equally 
replaces the term nonviolence and removes violence from the equation. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's an Eastern word. I don't know what lineage it's from. Ahimsa, uh, mm-hmm. which I believe is like the the concept of it. And I don't have the, the definition in my head, but that would be one place for people to start to, to look that up and, and embody what that means. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's about transcending these labels ultimately yeah, and living intuitively and living um, in community. Yeah. And at the same time, I do like, I understand the pushback of certain radicals against the notion of nonviolence because it has been bastardized and like, it's been, the idea has been co-opted by the state to a certain degree, at least when you look at like Martin Luther King, like after he was killed, like they chose to bury the information about his like socialism and about his like anti-capitalist pro-union beliefs in order to emphasize his nonviolence to send the message that that is the appropriate way to act against the state. Um, and he was murdered, right? Yeah. By the state. But yeah, like nonviolence is a privilege, it's right? A pri- yeah, it's a privilege. Like, what if you're in a situation and, you know, you're, you're a woman anywhere in the world, but particularly somewhere um, where you don't have the same safeties that we do here on yeah. this land. And are you going to be nonviolent when someone's attacking you? Uh, no, absolutely not. Like, so the concept of that needs to um, em- embody and encompass all of that. But yeah. As it stands here, it is, we have the privilege to not physically engage yeah. because we have um, these social contracts with the state enforcement and that they behave a certain way when they're being watched, yeah. you know, when there's white bodies on the line. Obviously, all of these things change if the cameras aren't rolling, right. if it's BIPOC folks, queer folks, you know. But if you have the privilege to be in that space and be nonviolent, you need to use that privilege. Right. Because it's shifting the system mm-hmm. by by staring at it in its, in its face and saying, I'm not going to engage with you no. in the context that you want me to. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to make you remove me from this place and I'm not going to fight back. And I'm going to trust that that, that is going to be part of the impetus to shift the system of violence that is oppressing all of us. Mm-hmm. And the the sort of the 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 activist idea of nonviolence and what is present at Ferry Creek should not be conflated with the like the state sanctioned version of it because anything that the state tells you about nonviolence you have to remember that the state is an organization that will take you know four thousand bodies in the ground in an event like nine eleven and decide that. 4 million plus bodies in the ground all over the world is appropriate retaliation. So we, we will not always be able to answer violence with nonviolence. It is a privilege, like you said, but we can always sort of oppose their, their escalation of violence and acknowledge it for what it is and not take the bait of them telling us that, it's our responsibility. Yeah, They're the ones that are perpetuating the violence. They're the ones that are accelerating it. And anything we do to oppose them is by, by necessity, even if our tactics become violent, is to reduce the violence in the world. Yeah. Because they're, they're the ones with a monopoly on the instruments of violence. And there's so many ways to do that, that, you know, there's so many ways to participate in that dismantling. 
that don't include putting your body on the front line in, right. in potential harm's way. I think living in your truth, living in the fullest expression of yourself, telling your story to the world, um, you know, following your heart. Uh, we see it every day with trans folks mm-hmm. living in their embodiment. That is, you know, and the violence that they experience by living in their truth. Right. And, and, uplifting people those people protecting them and and finding your own truth because none of us are properly free in this world even those with the most embodied privilege are being oppressed in in some way right and so by being able to tap into who we are like that is the revolution Mm -hmm. and so i don't want people to think you know if they're not ready to go the front lines um that that they can't be a revolution wherever they are yeah yeah you know the front lines are just a place in space like any other right at the end of the day there's nothing special about them except for the concentration of uh, energy and the support there and in fact arguably the front lines are not even as supportive as like the more peaceful parts of that area so anywhere you are there is an invitation to make the choice to you know behave like in a way that is uh, transformative. Yeah. Anywhere and in any moment. Yeah. And asking questions uh, of yourself, of, of your family, of the people around you, and, mm-hmm. and being intentional with with the dollars you spend, with, with where you put your time and energy. You know, all of these things are part of the shift. Yeah. <laughs> but also go to the front lines. <laughs> but also please do. Like, they really do. Like, especially right now. Like, that's... <laughs> They really do need people, um, and it was we we came at a time when the numbers were very low, and that that is another compounding factor to why I did as much as I did there, because every person was needed to, and and we need to like, the more people there are, the more the burden can be shared, and the more that we can really make progress, and the more different types of people there are, the more different experiences we can release out into the world via media to show them what we're doing it's just the strength in numbers in so many different ways is so necessary human beings thrive when they collaborate and they share their resources and their ideas and they share everything and that is a place where it can happen and it's a place where it needs to happen and as long as the numbers are low we're limited in how much power we have yeah and if you're scared like if you're afraid of the state um but your eyes are open to reality and you're you're seeking to to reconcile, to give reparations, to decolonize. You need to know that people live every day in that fear. Yeah. And if you have the privilege that going to Fairy Creek is the first time you you feel that fear in an embodied way, like recognize that and and that stepping into that fear and stepping through that fear is the work. Yeah. It is. That is, and, and, and you have to go before you're, you're ready. We, we have to do that in our lives all the time because um, it's, there's no such thing as being ready. It's just something that's we've created in order to make ourselves feel safe, that we'll know something or whatever. But we know when we put ourselves in the situation that it's just an inch further than our comfort zone. Yeah. That's when we know what we're capable of. It's not before. We can't assess it. We can't engage with it hypothetically. Yeah, and I think like this has always been a rule of mine in storytelling, which you know your podcast has, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
ostensibly about film. Um, right, right, right. Ostensibly. <laughs> I mean, it is, I'm allowing it to change as my life does. As it yeah. should. As it should. Um, but the, my, my rule for myself as a storyteller is like, what scares you? Go yeah. there. Go there. Like, yeah. if you're not scared of the story you're telling, you're not doing it right. Right. And the thing is, is that's complicated too, right? Because it's like, don't go there to prove anything. Don't go there to torture yourself. Don't go there for those reasons. Like, don't go there to show like well, how macho you are because you can face these things. Go there to find yourself. Mm. Go there to explore the depths of who you are and go there hopefully knowing that if you've gone too far, you can come back and people will love and care for you and allow you the space that you need to recover. Absolutely. I and I shouldn't say that you're not doing it right. That's judgmental of no, me. No, but course, yeah. I you know, I think that there's just so much story pollution out there. There's so much that gets told um that isn't vital. Yeah. And we're in a time where we need to be engaging with what is vital. Mm-hmm. And we need to be letting everything else slip by the wayside and you know, vulnerability and truth is what sets us free and what allows us to transcend to deeper layers of understanding. It's what expedites the change uh, and it sets others free. Absolutely. And and I said something earlier that I almost want to take back. Um, I don't know why it's just a thorn in my side and I don't want to end this conversation without like acknowledging it. It's when I said that I would be like ashamed of friends for voting a certain way or whatever. <laughs> um, I don't actually, I have my own like, internal fight right that I that it has to do with my earliest experiences of of authority and my uh my feelings of limitation regarding that and that's part of what I have to work through but you know any, any one of the steps you as my friends take towards like a deeper understanding and more compassion even if it's not where I want you to go like it's valid and and you have to engage with the system the way that you feel is right. Yeah. And I um and I I'm trying my darndest not to approach the people that I want to be in community with, with shame because shame is a colonial tool. Yeah. And so yeah. Yeah, I think shame is really really interesting one, and in that we had a conversation the first night we sat in a group of people and and talked about shame and guilt and, um and what it means to different people. Different people have different definitions of it. And with Extinction Rebellion, they have a no shaming or blaming policy within. Um, but that's a, that that's a interesting thing when you get onto the front lines or you get out of direct action and there's racialized people yelling shame at the police. And yeah. shame, you know, I and I've written this before, I've, I've shared this before, you know, shame is a tool, a colonial tool, and then also I've heard in, in Coast Salish traditions that there were shame circles or there, hopefully it's still practice. They still have the ability um, that, that, that shame was used as a tool to, to grow people, to hold them accountable. And so when we use these words, we need to be one, recognize that everyone has different definitions of them. Two, recognize that like it can keep shame can keep us stuck and keep us in judgment. And it could also potentially be a pathway or a stepping stone forward. Mm-hmm. And that there's always going to be so many complexities. Right. So as long as we come back to being compassionate, 
for others and their paths and where they're at and and non-judgment because I'm guilty of this all the time you know oh you're not doing things this way like shame on you and you know so on and I think that can often just be reflective of our own personal self-worth that yeah. we're not doing enough and no, I also just don't want to shame people for the 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 banal things they do in day-to-day life. I I don't want to shame somebody for holding a plastic bag. You know, I don't want to shame somebody for taking a selfie. Like if you <laughs> if you like your face and you want to share it with your friends on a particular day, that's beautiful. And if you want to do it every day, that's fine. That's that's great. I want you to be proud of yourself and the way and the the body you've been given and everything and it, I don't I don't want to trivialize people's experience with self just because I have a different perspective on that your your posts you know that people tell you don't don't post if you're not going to do anything like no even if you don't do anything just engaging and and sharing something it's valuable and it's part of a pathway and when somebody tells you it's not valid it clips the the path that might take you forward into something else and how many people would be sharing more if they weren't living with the fear of being shamed? Right. So every way of engaging and every way of telling your truth is valid. It is, and it, it'll lead to other things. I mean, if I didn't post for years on end, literally, I probably wouldn't have ended up on the front lines. It's part of a lineage, right? That leads you wherever you're supposed to go. And the only thing that will stop you from getting there is people telling you that your ways of expressing yourself aren't valid. Yeah, and to be in community is to to uplift each other when we make mistakes, when we yeah. get it wrong, when we're offensive, when we're problematic, when we're harmful, because we're human, we're going to be those things. Right. And we need to learn to continue to better support each other in those moments and uplift each other instead of shame them. That being said, of course, there's a, there's a time and a place for that. The complexities, yeah. allowing for all of that, but not living in the fear of being shamed, not shaming others in less i don't i don't even know how to i don't even know yeah yeah it's there's a lot to it and there's there's varying context (laughs) and there are certain actions that it's hard to you know like come back from right like but if we had like you know if we were engaging with it like if someone did something terrible and we actually had real community care like like a shame circle where um you know, someone was held accountable, but they're held in community as they're being held accountable. And the way that we do shame right now is cancel culture. Yeah. And there's a necessity for that. And like, I'm not here to parse that. And no, neither am I. And I do, you know, like the term cancel culture is even like, there's so much to it, right? Because like, the, the problem really is that we don't really, that we have, like, not very good systems of proper accountability and proper um like but also like we we don't have systems that honor the the narratives and the experiences of the people who've been hurt and so we have to develop those and we have to develop systems of accountability and forgiveness and we have we have none of those right now because the way we currently punish people is not rehabilitating them yeah yeah so we have not we have like the three prongs of what we need right we need we need um, a, a robust system where people who have been traumatized are taken seriously and are cared for. We need uh, a, a system of accountability that isn't punitive 
in the way that it currently is that doesn't exacerbate the problem rather than mediating it. And we need a, a robust standard for forgiveness and reintegration. And we have none of those things, mm-hmm. you know, and it creates these like, you know, it, it amplifies the problems that we're trying to solve. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of work to do there as well. And those things need to be built in the time that we're spending, you know, arguing online. Yeah. Yeah. And again, yeah, I mean, like, it's difficult. It's, it's difficult because those arguments can be very, like, toxic, but they can also, there can be places in those arguments where people really do find common ground. Of course. You know, and, and where minds really are changed. Yeah, that's just my go-to, like, perhaps it's in the time that's spent, you know, unnecessarily scrolling or fretting, you know, stressing about yeah. our, the things that we've done that people might shame us for. You know, there's all these 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 moments of time and energy that can be transmuted into active work. Right, right, right. We need to, like, be the examples, you know, like, I hope that us going there and having media showing where we were and having this discussion here about it and our lessons through it, like provides motivation in the right way towards going to that place or going to another place where someone can be, you know, a force for positive change and where, you know, perhaps even just the two of us continuing to process it will open up what we're able to do even further, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, like I'm so grateful for this platform that I've created mostly because I can have conversations that are nuanced long and then I can take things back and reshape them because I can't do that. And that's the limitation of online is that I have to limit myself to a certain number of characters. And I have to limit myself knowing that if I exceed that, I'm going to lose people who look at a wall of text and don't want to engage with it. And it will never be able to hold the full complexity No. in that space. I mean, maybe one day, but we're, we're in a place right now where, you know, we need conver- long conversations like this. Right. We need long form things because the truth, whatever that means, yeah. <laughs> is, is, is vast and right. has so many layers to it yeah and contradictions yeah. and that need to be like they they need to be excised with a scalpel not a, not a jackhammer <laughs> which again circles back to the instruments that they're using on the front lines <laughs> or, or to you, extract <laughs> you know or, or gently whispered to and asked kindly to reveal themselves to us that too yeah it's coaxed out of their shells but yeah so the physical instruments that they're using on the front lines are chainsaws chainsaws and excavators and it's very clear to me having been in front of the excavator not in danger because there was a guy in front of me who was in a pit who was six feet down six feet down in a pit in a literal grave with his arm locked into like a concrete yeah but they were yeah they were they were doing this thing where they were like you know if we hurt you it's your fault essentially you know and but they were using an excavator and um and the, the way the excavator was operating in front of me was very, like, crunchy, you know? Like, like the guy clearly didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, because the professional excavator operator was like, I'm not doing this work anymore. No, absolutely, yeah. And, and that's... And so the tool is very blunt, and he used the tool to, like, um, move, like, the rocks that we had set up in front of the thing, like, far, like, safely far away from the hole, but out of the way. And some of them, because of the force of the excavator, moved more towards the, the pit. And the thing is, is like, on the evening when we were building up, I carried those rocks to places. Those are like 50 pound rocks. One of them falls in there, he's dead, done. You know, and they, 
that's those are the risks that they're willing to take on any given morning. I mean, it's a miracle that there aren't more accidental deaths at their hands. Yeah, I think that there's it's it's can be frightening out there and that people are taking care of each other the best they can and there's certainly is a huge amount of risk um that that the state enforcement then goes and use it uses it against us so we do have to be careful with yeah. with the situations we're putting ourselves in what we're allowing um and the dialogues that we're having with the enforcement because by telling them it wasn't safe, then they get to use that against us. And which brings back to like, don't talk to cops. <laughs> yeah. Just don't speak to them. Honestly, unless you are like very confident that you will not say anything revealing or anything incriminating, just don't talk to them. And if you have any doubt whatsoever, don't talk to them. Yeah. They just, they are, they're not open to listening. They have a script. Some of them, of course, are more compassionate than others and many of them I, I do fully believe have elected to come to that place because they know that they'll be more gentle than their co-workers and I, I do have some degree of sympathy for that I guess but they the, the paradigm in which they succeed is if they suppress our efforts period yeah. that's where they get promoted that's where they get the respect of their peers. That's where the, the system that they exist in reinforces their behavior. And they've already decided that that's what that's where their values are through some other point in their lives. And so there is really no productive discussion with them unless it's being filmed. And you can share the interaction with other people who, whose hearts are open. Yeah. 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 And, but I think, you know, off duty, everyone, if you have cops in your lives, then that's when you need that's to be fine. talking to them. And, um, because a, a popular narrative is asking the RCMP officers to quit their jobs. And I do find that concerning because if all the empathetic ones leave, then we're left yeah. what we're left with. And so we need systems change with that, within that institution. And every officer I've spoken to has agreed that in terms of the defund movement that mental health needs to be a priority mm -hmm. and needs to be properly funded. And, um, they don't want to go in on mental health calls either. Many of them say that, that that's not something that they're interested in and that they do realize that they do more harm than good when they go on those calls. Yeah. And so, you know, it, everyone's embodied experience is different and the people who are angry and yelling shame at the cops, like who, who've lived that embodied experience, like that is their right if, if that's not your embodied experience, it's, it's not your right. And you need to find a different way to operate and a way to advocate for the shift within that system. Um, because yeah, shaming and blaming is, is very specific and particular yeah. to your experience. And we need everybody, we need all hands on deck working to find ways to shift these systems and these structures, um, now and, and not when our hands are forced, um, by potential climate catastrophe. Exactly. And I do want to say something about systemic things as well. And the importance of kind of parsing that is because I know that a lot of people's reaction to the chaos of the modern world is to default to the easiest narratives that can be found online. The the conspiracy narratives, the narratives of um, QAnon, all these things. And the thing is, is, I'm not here to shame anyone for falling into that i think it's very easy to do and i think that the, the our platforms make it very very easy and, and seductive because the, those theories provide a cohesive narrative for the pain that, that 
is not being acknowledged by the mainstream media and that exists all around us. And the, the narrative is simple and there is there are concrete people that they set up to blame and it's very seductive, you know, to to have an, a clear enemy. But the thing is, and the sad thing is, is, and the complicated thing is, is that it's not, there is no one bad guy that we that we can just cut their head off that we we will not like if we if we displace the people that we think are in charge of the conspiracy others will take their place um it it is not like the those conspiracy theories tend to invoke things like satanism and you have to realize that when you do that you're you're playing into a colonial like judeo-christian mindset you know like you are you're reinforcing the ideas that have destroyed people's lives. Um, you, uh, there are, you know, leaders like Trump that can be perverted into heroes simply because they're perceived as anti-establishment when their behavior has done everything to enrich the already powerful. Um, I have somebody that I spoke to at the camp who was there to protect the trees said that they question the notion of defund the police because if we defund the police, then who will save us from the globalists? Which again, you know, you can be anti-elite, but somehow still pro-police when the police are so clearly an arm of the state, which itself is an arm of, like none of this is hidden, right? Like when I go to court in September because of uh, breaching the injunction on my civil case of uh, civil contempt, It'll be, you know, the Teal Jones logging company v. Doga, right? Like, that's what it is. These cops are glorified um, security guards for Teal Jones. And that's the role of the police is to protect private property. And it's not hidden. It's, it's right there in the open. And private property, of course, means the interests of corporatists. And so if you find yourself seduced by simple narratives, you just have to remind yourself that the world is not simple. And that these systems perpetuate themselves and they find sneaky ways of burrowing, burrowing into our minds. And, um, and we, we, we have to divorce ourselves from searching for the culpable and punishing them with retribution. Yeah. It's so important. And like that, it's just, if you believe those things, and I know at least one person who's listening to my podcast will. Um, I just want you to know that, like, I understand where your pain is coming from, that you are valued, that that you that, that the anger that you feel does have a source, regardless of what the media will tell you, and that there is a righteousness to it, but that you need to find a way to overcome that retributive spirit. And yeah, I'm I'm a privileged guy who got through the entire colonial education system because of his privilege saying this, and so I understand that a lot of what I'm speaking may be invalid to you, and I, and I understand that. I do. At the end of the day, I am an extension of whatever it is I've read, just as you are. But, um, but I want to be in community with you, and I want to I build something positive with you. And I think that your fears are valid in a way. They're just being aimed at the wrong target. Mm. The system is the puppet master. Yeah, and it, it's not human, and that's exactly why it's able to do these things, right? Because a human being is just as vulnerable as any other human being. 
a human being by themselves can be changed, but something that's inanimate and something that's grown out of like a domino effect of, of other things, that's the that's the real danger and it it's totally self-sustaining at this point and it has nothing to do with any person's plans or their ideas of conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't look for heroes. Don't look for villains. Look mm-hmm. in, look inside yourself and figure out what your power is and what you have to offer and work on that, embody that, share that, follow that. Mm-hmm. But your pain is valid. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the, that's the door, I think. The pain is the door, right? Mm-hmm. To go inward and to understand where it's coming from. And then being vulnerable with that pain, if it's through storytelling, if it's through sharing it with your friends and family, um, and, and sitting with it, and allowing it, not suppressing it, um, not not consuming it yeah just being with it recognizing it and and in that that's that's the work that's the healing it's going to allow you to to be free and to live in your gift and there are always alternatives to the things that we have been taught there are no way around there's no way around Mm. there are different ways of living and there are so many different types of people and cultures and ways that you can be valuable in the world that, you know, we have been told don't exist. That's so much easier than you think. It's so much, yeah. And tempering that, everyone has a different embodied experience, but everyone has a different reality and it doesn't feel easy for a lot of us, but recognizing that it can and it can be when you when you ask for help and um, when you when you allow yourself through those doors of the pain and the vulnerability and the discomfort. Yeah. Well, this has definitely been my longest episode so far, and I also don't think I'm going to cut any of it. So. We said a lot of things. We said a lot. We said a lot, and I hope that people listen to the whole thing. I know they will. It's a. Uh, it's a really lovely community, um, the indie community out here. I really think that we we all have the potential to do a lot of good. And I'm really glad you guys are my friends. Oh. And I'm really glad you're my friend. And I'm really blessed that you've led me to the places you have. Oh. I'm, so, I'm so grateful to be here with you today and to be in friendship with you and community with you and, and sharing these experiences with you. Well, thanks. Uh, uh, on to the next thing. <laughs> on to the next. Yeah. Um, stop it.